This is Hope FM. Well, a big welcome uh, to our studio to David Sidwick, our, our brand new police commissioner for Dorset. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Blair, and it's a pleasure to be here and well, to see you. Absolutely, in, in our in our brand new. I think this is the first time you've been in these studios because we we've talked lots of times on the on the telephone, but mainly about games. Indeed, which is one of your passions, which of course we'll get to a bit later on. But let's start really. I mean, we want to do a, a, a bit of a profile of of you really in your life, going back to your, your sort of early days and influences. You you were born in 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 Bournemouth. What was life like way back then? Oh, was gosh. It? So this would be... I was born in 1961. Uh, so growing up in the 60s, um, I remember the roads were quieter. <laughs> um, I, For some reason, I've still kept a love of the cars from that era. Um, it, it, I had a really blessed childhood, I think. Um, I had a happy childhood. Um, it was... I guess I was lucky because my parents worked on the premises. My dad had the off-license in Armour Road for 19 years, and that's where I grew up. So you could have been a publican. I could have been a publican. I could. Yeah, I learned about drink very early. Um, and uh, and actually, funny enough, dad, dad ruled that place with a rod of iron from the point of view of the most important thing to him was uh, to keep his license. Yeah, that was really important. So he was very careful who he sold to, never sold to children. Um, uh, but it was absolutely, a, it was a good sort of grounding in the retail trade. Um, I don't know if you remember, uh, decimal currency came in. Gosh, that's going back, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do remember. Yeah, and I would not have been very old. I'd have been, oh, I can't remember, I can't work it out. But I, I wasn't very old and dad got me to price you got me to price every bottle in the shop. So I, 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 I learned maths very, very What a quickly. fantastic way to learn, you know? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was good. No, it was fun. But, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because even in those days with the influences of your dad, you know, to do things right, because so many things that turn, you know, really go sour, and drink is one of them, drugs and all those But, of course, then if, if people are responsible, like your dad was in running his pub, and no doubt making it like a centre of community, because pubs are, aren't they? They're it was an off-licence, Oh, sorry, it wasn't a pub. It was, no, was off-licence. Yeah. It was an off-licence. I, I stand but, but even so, you know, they're places where people go and they, they you know, they, they get used to one another. Your dad would have no doubt got used to all his customers. Oh, he did. He knew, Well, he yeah, he knew the whole area, in fact, and, and, and we did, really. Um and we went to St. Luke's Church, which was just around the corner. Um, and I went to St. Luke's School, which um, I walked to. Um, and so it was, it, it, was, it was a very happy childhood. And because they ran an off-license, they were on the premises. So if the shop was quiet, you know, we'd all be together out the back. Um, and we'd play games. That's where the great love and of that's games where the, come that's from. That's where the games passion came from, yeah. Well, Dad had a snooker table as well. He, had, he, he bought a billiard table. A half-size billiard table for the grand sum of ten pounds, and and we basically grew up playing billiards and snooker on it. Did he ever get to Sheffield to the championships? No, no. But we did watch a program called Pop Black. I don't know if you remember, I remember that. that. On yeah. Oh, yeah. Goodness me. Yeah. It's going back. I mean, obviously, you know, as you went into teen years, years. I mean, I was, did you have any incl- inclination of of what you would like to do in terms of your 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 life? As you get into, you know, your sort of older teenage, early 20s. So, yeah, what happened was, um, because of the off-licence, on a Sunday, there was this quite long period of time. Um, because the in those days, the licensing hours were very strict. And you only had a very short lunchtime on a Sunday. And then you ha- it didn't open until 7 o'clock. So because of that, uh, Sunday was the day out day, if that makes sense. Um, and for some reason, uh, sometimes mum and dad wanted to be on their own for that period of time. So we were sent off with the grandparents. And we always went across Dorset. You know, I, uh, we were usually looking for a cream tea shop um, somewhere or other. But Bobbington Tank Museum, Main Castle, Babbury Rings, all these, all these places. So you uh, discovered what a beautiful place we live in. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And tractor counting, I think, was my first hobby. Um, didn't care what sort they were, just the colours. Uh, but I developed this love of um, the countryside and also animals. We had a dog uh, who um, I was very close to. He used to give me his bonios and I used to give him my rusks. Um, and it <laughs> turned out I wanted to be a vet. That's what the ambition became. Hmm. Um, so, uh, so James Harriet eat your heart out? 
well now so that's where it went slightly slightly amiss because i timed it wrong um i read the books um i went to the grammar school um i was on course i actually had a place at bristol university to read veterinary science uh but i uh, i had a um collapsed lung just before the a levels which meant i just missed the grades and they said I could come along and, and go to it. Um, and they gave me a degree called anatomical science, which was the first part of the veterinary science degree. Uh, and they said, you can swap later. And I said, oh, that's great. OK, thank you. Uh, when we got to the end of it, my tutor, who had a PhD, wanted to be a vet as well. And they said, well, look, mm, how about doing a PhD? And this was purely because everybody and their dog wanted to be a vet because of the television series so um it it, it didn't work out um i figured out i'd be 32 before i actually got a paycheck and i couldn't afford to fund myself through the <laughs> rest of the time. university so i joined the pharmaceutical industry instead this is hope fm Well, we're up, all up there in the in the Yorkshire Dales. Sadly, it wasn't to be a veterinarian. But have you watched the new series? I have watched the new series, Blair, actually, and I really enjoyed it. In fact, in many ways, I enjoyed it more than the old ones because the old ones always had this sort of frisson about the fact that, God, you made it popular for everybody else to do it. <laughs> um, but no, this one, I thought they did it very, very well. I hope they come back and do it again, actually. No, I mean, I, it's, it was just addictive viewing. You know, it was. I, I thought. But anyway, it wasn't to be uh, the veterinary life for you. It was to be pharmaceuticals. I'm, I'm, that seems to me a miles away. Why, why pharmaceuticals? Well, it's interesting. It was um, my old biology teacher teacher said to me um, when all this happened, he said, if it doesn't work out, think about the pharmaceutical industry. Um, And uh, basically, that's what I did. I mean, you need a job. So you go in. <laughs> so why not? Uh, so why not? And was it reasonably well paid? Uh, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it was it was it was one of those um, sort of careers where graduate was very well looked after. I always remember the first day. The first day you went along, and you, obviously you found out your salary. You knew that before you got there. But on the first day, they gave you a company car, which was that's that's lots so. Of then fun. that was a real perk. Real perk. Um, so you got the company car. You got a television. And you got a video, which was great news because as a representative... Was this for training purposes? Well, this is as a representative, you'd go round and you'd obviously see the doctors and the pharmacists, uh, but you'd also do lunch meetings. So at the lunch meeting, the game plan was you would usually show them a film, which would be educational. Um, and to do that, you needed a mechanism, which was a television and a video. Thank you very much indeed. So I hope it was a light one and not one of these just... Uh, in those days, they were massive, weren't they? Well, it, was, it was pretty heavy. You, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty heavy. You, you hoped that the surgery was quite close to the car park. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, but no, no it, was, it was really, really good fun. It was probably, I've got fond memories of being the medical rep for Dorset and fond memories of a lot of the doctors endorse it because um back in those days gosh they were some characters um and they usually saw the rep after the surgery so you were kind of light relief for them i think in some ways Mm. um i always remember there was one out in marnell um in north dorset and uh, it's it's a lovely bloke and uh, (laughs) i always remember because what he would do as soon as the patients had left he would light up and he'd be sitting there puffing <laughs> away saying, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> so, do what I say, not what yeah, exactly, I do. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, that was good. I did that for five years, which from a career point of view was probably three years too long, but it was just lovely. And of course, you worked for the same company that did the Pfizer uh, inoculation. Well, obviously, that was a long time since. But but of course, we've, we've seen with COVID, the, 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 the sort of drug companies and the research comes centre stage, haven't we? We have. We have. So what was really interesting and what I was lucky with was most of the products that I was either selling or marketing, I was able to really believe in. They really made a difference. I'll give you um, two quick examples. One example is a cholesterol lowerer. 
Uh, now that had been done for for years with various um, types of drug, um, but you couldn't really get your handle around it. You couldn't really get a great uh, reduction. And Park Davis came out with a drug called Lipitor, um, which gave gave a significant cholesterol reduction. Um, it's a, it was a statin. Everybody talks about statins these days. We were one of the first to come out with one. Um, and then there was another drug which I was um, involved with, a whole sort of family of drugs. And they were used in the UK for a certain indication, and we found they were very, very good for chronic pain. And I'm very proud that I pushed hard and made certain that we actually got the license here for that drug and then that family of drugs to be used for chronic pain. And that's helped an awful lot of people. So um, I was able to... Uh, I guess make a difference um, but it gave me a good career I wound up on the UK management board of Park Davis um, there was nowhere else to go apart from Amer- uh, um, apart from to America for a couple of years and then they, <laughs> then they give you a small country to play with that's how, how it used to work mm-hmm. in those days and I suppose also it, it would have developed your people skills because I mean I remember because I used to be a rep many years ago I sold advertising space you know and then I saw I worked for Cadbury's for a while cool. uh, and uh, uh, but an old uh, an older guy said to me once. He said, "Blair, uh, he said, always remember to treat the store boy with respect, because one day, Blair, he will be the manager." <laughs> and uh, and it, and it taught me really the importance of oh well of treating people right, but but also uh, the fact that just people skills are so Im- important, and I mean genuine pe- people skills. You're not not because you want to just sell them something. So I guess with those doctors and GPs and. I don't know whether they had surgery managers in those days. Didn't oh, they? they had surgery managers. They had, they had receptionists. Um, I, I was always. It's interesting you say that. One of my claims to fame is that I started a new training module on the training course for representatives, um, which was about basically how do you get the appointment from the receptionist? Because if you didn't get on with the receptionist, you don't get through. You don't get through. <laughs> um, we were very naughty. We called it dragon slaying. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so absolutely, absolutely. But the other piece about it which was really useful was it was a heavily regulated environment. So you had to make certain you got it right. Because if you misled the doc, then... Well, it was it, the last time you'd mislead him. Well, it's the last time you mislead him. But, you know, there could be a patient on the receiving end of that mislead. Um, and you always had to keep that front and centre. Um, so, yeah, no, it was a good career. This is Hope FM. Well, my very special guest today is our brand new police commissioner, David Sidwig, and we've been finding out quite a lot about his, his early life. He, we just left him where he had uh, done first spent with Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, and then you set out on your own, setting up your own consultancy. Was that tough? Do you know what? Um, it, 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 it's only tough when you think back about it. I, I think we were... Uh, we were very pragmatic. Uh, there was two of us, and we both had decided that we didn't want the jobs which were on offer with Pfizer. And my friend lived in New Forest. I lived in Dorset. Um, neither of us wanted to move away. So we didn't want to move away to where most of the pharmaceutical companies are situated, which is around the M25. So then it was a question of what we're going to do. And actually, we were both found, we were both quite passionate about the issue of medical education, particularly in those areas where medicine is an art, not a science. So let me explain what I mean. If you've got somebody with epilepsy, now that sounds really simple, right? It's a condition you can deal with it. But actually, there are so many different types of epilepsy. And the way it manifests is is also almost legion. And... It's not well understood. Um, And a lot of people try to treat it, if that makes sense. General physicians treat it sometimes. Uh, Neurologists obviously treat it. And also there is uh, two other areas, learning disability and pediatrics, who, again, also become involved with it. Um, So there was a great need, if you like, which we identified um, for more education around this. And we picked um, difficult-to-treat areas. We picked epilepsy, we picked chronic pain, we picked Alzheimer's disease, we picked multiple sclerosis. We picked a few others, but mainly on the the sort of uh, central nervous system side of things. 
And we sold a concept to pharmaceutical companies that we would get senior doctors and senior nurses together to basically talk about these difficult-to-treat areas um, in a very structured way so they could share experiences. And actually, what you found was, although you had, say, a two-day course on this, um, you found that as much um, interaction occurred around the coffee time where what you'd hear one of them go, I've got a patient, and they do this, this, and this, and I don't know where to go next. And what we did was basically put them in contact with the most leading professors in the country. And it worked. It worked. We're very, we're, we're very proud that we trained in the 18 years that the company was open. We trained over 17,500 senior physicians and nurses. Um, uh, obviously, we didn't do the training. We facilitated it. But uh, we feel that we, we made a difference. And I suppose the validation was some of the docs asked us to run separate um, training courses without pharmaceutical sponsors. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, my business partner and I actually um, dipped into our own pocket and ran a two-day course for learning disability consultants on capacity and consent because they needed to discuss it. And presumably, you were, were you delivering these courses all over the country, or, or were they oh, yeah. were they centralised? Oh, yeah. No, we delivered them all over the country. Um, this is before the age of Zoom or Teams or <laughs> anything of that nature. Are you on mute? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so we had to we had to basically organise um, organise the logistics, uh, invite them, um, get the professors along, um, and we do them we do them largely in places of academic excellence. Uh, so places like Robinson's College in Cambridge, those sorts of places. Um, and if we couldn't do it there, then we'd um, we'd find somewhere else, always with a little bit of an educational spin. Um, I remember we did it in the place that they teach MI5 and MI6, for example, or there was a place where they did a lot of police training. Um, but the longest journey, I guess, was Stirling University. That was a bit of a stretch from Bournemouth, but we always made it <laughs> I'll work. I'll say, yeah. We always made it work. Um, so, no, we were very pleased with that, and I'd still be doing that now. Mm. Um, but in 2008, in 2018, I shut the company, and that's because I started getting grumpy, for want of a better phrase, about certain things to do with the police force. I had an issue with 101. Um, somebody tried to defraud me, and uh, I had a very lengthy time on the phone. Which, of course, is very common these days. In, it's in incredibly fact, it's, common. It's rampant, these days. isn't it? It's incredibly um, common, and. Uh, the best advice I've got is, is is basically to really, really try and understand what you can do to prevent that happening to you. And if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically, personally, I, you know, I basically now I don't take calls from anybody who I'm not sure about. Um, uh, certainly, if they start on the phone about something, um, you know, I'm from Amazon. Well, fine. But Amazon wouldn't contact you like that. Uh, so you know, just be very aware. For, for people who are vulnerable, you know, uh, when you talked there about people with learning difficulties, but elderly people and so on. Uh, but I mean, I was caught up myself once, you know, with a TV license. Uh, and um, and it was an email, you know, uh, yeah. for asking me to pay. And then I suddenly realised, hold on a minute, I pay by direct debit. Uh, so I had to go through the the whole thing of cancelling yeah. credit cards. And, yep. you know, but but it really, and now I, I, if they come on the phone, I don't know them. I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but I don't. Call, exactly. I don't take calls exactly. of this nature. Exactly. That's exactly. We have the same philosophy, Blair. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So the so so what happened to you then? And and and, and so so I had the fraud thing. Um. There was a shoplifting incident in the co-op on my high street, uh, and I happened to be in there when it was ha- when it was potentially going on. Um, and the shop assistant basically was just very anxious. And I, you know, I said to her, "What's the deal?" And she said, "Well, th- this guy always nicks stuff, and I'm on my own, and I have to stop him." Mm. Um, so basically, I helped her out. You know, there, was, there was no confrontation. There was no wrestling to the floor. You there got was, stuck in there. No, there was just there was just a couple of difficult questions. That's that's the extent of, of, of what it was. But it, it, he thought better of it and left the shop. If you see what I mean. Um, so there was that, and then uh, there was the idea of the merger with Devon and Cornwall. And from my business background, I had sort of thirty practical questions. You know, how long does it take to get to from X to Y? You know, if you need to, those sorts of things. Uh, and nobody was answering those questions. Um, and also, at the same time, there was 
virtually every week in the in the echo there would be antisocial behavior and there were some significant serious pieces of antisocial behavior i don't remember but there was a a bus i think it was on camford heath um and basically somebody on the bus had to intervene uh in order to throw the kids off the bus because they were basically getting leery with the bus driver mm. um and it was like hang on a minute this isn't right this isn't right. So I started being grumpy about all this. And then um, Ruth said to me, why don't you try and do something about it? And I said, well, I'm not certain I can. I'm not certain whether I'd be qualified, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I mean, was the, was the police commissioner possibility on the scene in your mind way back then? Because it would have been the early days. Of it, course yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't on the scene when I started getting grumpy about those four things. Um, but then somebody said, well, why don't you be police and crime commissioner? And I said, well, hang on a minute. You know, don't you need certain, certain A-levels and you know, O-levels and degrees and all this sort of stuff? And I said, well, no, it's an elected position. All right, okay. Um, uh, and I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. So I said to Ruth, I said, if I'm going to do it, then I can't do stack at the same time. Because however, however it is, I want to make certain that I can do it. So the, the, she said, well, I'll go back to work. Um, she's a very special lady. And um, that's what we did. She went back to the NHS. I went out with other PCCs and other police forces and did a lot of research and asked questions about, okay, what do I need to be like? And I found that actually for the job, I had a lot of the skills which were absolutely necessary for it because it's a job about representing the people so it's a job about communication it's a job about strategy and once you've spoken to the people which every good candidate should spend a lot of time doing um, you need to come back with their priorities um, it's about leadership which obviously from the pharmaceutical industry and in, in a couple of other places which you know, I did some other jobs um, I, I demonstrated in the business field yeah, as managing director and chairman. Um, so I found out that it did seem like I had the right skills. And then it was a matter of convincing the... Um, I stood on the conservative ticket, and that was deliberate. Um, and the reason I did that was because with a conservative government, conservative MPs throughout Dorset, and now two conservative councils, I think actually you've got a real chance of doing more good if you are part of the camp. That's one of the reasons. And of course, uh, you, you, the role itself is, isn't political as such. No, it's not. With, with a, it is with a small P, I guess. It's, well, it's, it is political because you, you bring people together and you talk about resources. So yeah, with a small P, it is. party political. Correct. No. And something people didn't, didn't know and still didn't know, even during the election period, I was, I was having to explain it um, quite frequently, is that on that first day, in fact, within the first hour of being elected, you, ha you have to take an oath of office. And that oath of office basically says that uh, you will do two things. You will, you will represent the, the uh, people of Dorset without fear or favour. So I'm for everybody. Um, and actually, that's the way I conducted the campaign. I never asked anybody what their political views were when I talked to them. It, it's not relevant. It's what you need is what's relevant. Um, and the other piece of that oath is that you will not interfere in the operational independence of the police. And that's absolutely clear. Mm. So my role is representation, strategic, and about the resources, about the money. Their job is to do the operational bit. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And my very special guest is our... Uh, New Police Commissioner for uh, Dorset, uh, David Sidwick. Well, it was it was a bit of a long road to election, slightly longer perhaps than you had originally <laughs> anticipated, because with a certain little thing called COVID, uh, the election was was put back a year, wasn't it? You're absolutely right, Blair. Uh, it, it was it was meant to be a, a, a two year. For, in my head, it was it was a two year journey. It was a year uh, going out and learning uh, learning about the job from other. Um, PCCs, other police forces, and uh, basically campaigning to be the candidate. And then it was meant to be a year as the candidate, um, talking to the people of Dorset uh, to understand their needs ready for the election. So it got just a little bit messed up. Um, I remember March the 13th. March the 13th was the date 
when they decided that the election would be postponed. Um, it was a it was it was it was a really interesting day because at lunchtime I made a phone call to somebody close to the um, wheels of power in government and said, "Is this going to get delayed?" And I was reassured completely it wouldn't. And at four o'clock I got a phone call <laughs> saying, "You remember what I told you earlier?" I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I remember I was talking. I was actually doing a campaigning talk for a group of residents so obviously you know you've just had the wheels kicked from under you but you know you go ahead and you we did the campaigning talk um and i said we don't know which way it's going to go we don't know when it's going to be back but you know just remember me when it is and then the next day ruth and i sat down and i had a high level cost of coffee meeting about and she just looked at me and said you're not going to give up now are you and i said nope so um yeah that was it i suppose on the positive front i give you an extra year you know, well, do you know what? It, yeah, you're absolutely right, Blair. And and that extra year um, allowed me to basically see a whole heap of more people. Um, you're the best one in the world. You know, it's 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 people call it a small county. Well, you know, not being funny, it's two hours to Sherborne from Bournemouth. It ain't that small to get around. Mm. Um, and very different in this field because you've got the the, you know, the rural areas and, of course, you've got the conurbation. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And you've got, within that, you've got a number of different communities. Um, so you really, really have to, to my mind, right, other people will debate this with me, but I don't think you can rock up at the last minute and fight an election on sort of a few weeks. I think you've got to, you've got to, you've got to know your patch really, and, really well. And, of course, a, a, one of the big things, I mean, we'll talk a wee bit later on about the actual role and, and so yeah. on, but, uh, but I guess that a big part of the role is listening to people, and, and, and obviously people have very different views, but, but you would, you've had a longer period of, of listening to people because no doubt there would have been many voices in your ear uh, saying, now, David... If you get elected, you know, this is what you need to do. And uh, uh, you, you, are, you are indeed absolutely right. And I learned a lot on the way through. I remember there being a very, very early meeting. Um, one of the things that I was always passionate about was to make certain that I was, if I got it, that I was going to be a police commissioner for every part of Dorset. So I was going to understand the rural crime issues as well as the urban issues. And I remember the first meeting I had with some um, councillors from uh, rural Dorset. And one of them said to me, they said, what about worrying? And I was beginning to think at one stage, hang on a minute, what, is she asking me about my mental health? <laughs> and then the penny dropped that it was sheep worrying, which is a really, really big deal for the farming community. So uh, back to the vet days then, wasn't it? There was well, yeah, and fortunately, thing, you know? fortunately, yeah, fortunately. So I know quite a bit about it. I, I know how important the economic value of a sheep is, for example. So how mean, does that tie up with, uh, with crime then and with policing? What, the rural community? Worrying, farming. worrying. Worrying. Well, if somebody, go, if somebody lets their dog off the leash... And it savages a sheep. Uh-huh. That is 180 maybe, 180 quid. It depends on what type of sheep it is. Um, I mean, I did see that there was a ram sold at auction. I think it was thousands and thousands of pounds. Mm. So this is money, right? Um, as well as being, you know, a white fluffy thing in a field. And did you discover it to be an issue then in the it rural is. areas? It is an issue in the rural areas. It's also an issue for those who who let their dogs off a lead because a farmer does have the right to shoot the dog. So this is something which um, there's a lot of prevention work going on about and we need to make certain that prevention work happens. But it's it's not... Um, it's not the only issue in the rural environment. Farm theft is up by something like 28.7% year on year. We have issues around hair coursing. We have issues around poaching, as well as the issues that we have in our urban communities around antisocial behaviour and drugs in county lines. Mm. So it's important to make certain that both, both areas are equally well-serviced, 
and both areas' needs are addressed. So another year of education, <laughs> indeed, for another. you, which I no doubt stand you in good stead. You know, going uh, going going forward, but of course those those needs of of urban and rural, they're 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 so very different, aren't they? Uh, partly. But we've, as I say, we've got some commonality, commonality around antisocial behaviour, commonality around things like fly tipping. Fly tipping happens all across Dorset. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be maybe slightly different in terms of scale sometimes in the rural community because it's easier to hide a big batch of stuff. Um, but the way that you deal with it, in many ways, if you boil it down, uh, comes back to prevention in the first place, education, um, and then, you know, last but not least, enforcement. So, you know, it's, well, there are very great similarities. This is Hope FM. Stirring stuff. I can just see you there looking out on the countryside over Dorset, you know. And, uh, yeah, be- I'm an old romantic player, I'm sorry. And being being inspired. Now, obviously, I mean, I, I can remember when, you know, the government came up with this idea of, of the police commissioner roles. And I remember the first time uh, the election took place, uh, there was a very poor turnout for a start. And I guess that if you if you talk to Joe Bloggs, they probably wouldn't have the foggiest clue about what this new role was all about. Now, OK, uh, years has passed. Uh, you've only got, of course, three years because you lost a year because of COVID. So you've got three years before the next election, unless the government changed their minds, uh, of course. But for the completely uninitiated, what are, what, how would you summarise the job? OK, so firstly, there's always been somebody who does the job. Originally, it was uh, parish watches. And they basically um, oversaw the local police. In the 1960s, they brought in a policing authority. Um, and then in 2012, as we know, they changed that to a uh, police and crime commissioner. And the reason was twofold. The police authority wasn't... The people on there were uh, usually appointed by their political party. So although they might be elected representatives, they were appointed to the role. Um, so there was a, a, a slight disconnect between being elected to the role, if that makes sense. And also, um, it was a committee. So, you know, a committee uh, has more problems getting to a decision and a strategy, particularly if that committee is made up of different divorced political views, which they would have been. Um, so I believe that those were the two issues that the Police and Crime Commissioner uh, was put in place to kind of address one it is it is to become directly electable so basically in three years time if you don't like the direction i'm going in you can get get rid of me at the ballot box um uh so that makes sense but it does mean that uh i have to as a police and crime commission be very clear on what i understand you've told me and what i'm going to do about it And, and, and we won't talk about that until later because you asked me about the role so I'll quickly bash into that Blair. Uh, the thing I was going to just pull out was that, that I mean you did say this earlier on but obviously the the commissioner isn't operational so your job is not to run the police force absolutely not. that's the job of the police constable but absolutely. I guess you, your relationship with the police constable and that operational side has got to be pretty close yeah, it has got to be pretty close it is not my role to say um, oh, let's. I won't pick a street because that's not fair. But let's say there's X Street. It's not my role to go to the chief constable and say X Street looks horrible. You're going to do something about it. That's not my role. My role, though, is to say, look, uh, the people of Dorset say to me they are worried about antisocial behaviour. So I want you to put into place an operational way of addressing that. How you do that is up to you because you're the experts on that. But the people at Dorset want antisocial behaviour addressed. So that's how 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 it would work. So the, what are the functions? One is is the representation of the people, and so those priorities that the 
are put into a police and crime plan, which is what we're working on at the moment. So that's refreshed. Is that refreshed on a four-year cycle or an annual cycle? Or So uh, you can refresh it um, more frequently. You, uh, you can refresh it when a new person comes in. Obviously, we've had a plan, which has lasted until 2021. Um, and so it's going to be a new plan. Uh, which is good. So normally a new police and cr- crime commissioner would come up with a new plan. So that that touches on what we're going to do, uh, how yep. we're going to do it, and probably very importantly, where we get the resources to do it. You're absolutely right. So that's the other thing that a police and crime commissioner is about, and that's about the money. Um, so there's, there's two elements to the job. There's the police and crime. So if we look at the police, and that's the direction, the strategy, the and crime is... The police commissioner has, in their own right, their budget for commissioning and also the ability to get people together to talk about how can we put in a program to address this and how can we get money to address that program. So that's the and crime bit. So for me, that's addressing three things. That's victim support. We have a statutory duty to support victims. Um, It is reducing reoffending. It is about preventing crime. So you basically have the strategy and the resources around those areas. You've got another obligation, which is to the national threat, if you like, and national um, issues and um, events even. Mm -hmm. So there's something happening in Cornwall called the G7. Oh, yes. And there will have been police officers drawn from across the UK to go down there. And it is our statutory duty to support that. And, of course, one duty which has come your way, uh, just been announced, of course, that our Chief Constable, uh, James Vaughan, is retiring. So the appointment of a new Chief Constable, of course, will very much fall in your camp. You're absolutely right. And that, that, if there was one thing that people knew about the police and crime commissioner role, uh, they, would, they would say, oh, it's to do with the appointment or firing of the chief constable. Um, actually, you know, if you ever get to the stage of having to fire a chief constable, then you, your relationship is broken down. That's not how this should work. It is about a professional, uh, two professionals, basically. So it shouldn't be a cosy relationship, but it should be a one based on respect. Holding each other to account. Holding to each other to account and uh, based on mutual goals. Now, we've had a phone call, uh, and um, I know that, that, that you're working on a new police and crime plan, but mm-hmm. I guess that where the rubber hits the road for a lot of people, and you will know this, that people will have had many conversations with you, you know, and say, David, you know, I just want to tell you this, and uh, what are you going to do about it? You know, now sure. this, the caller that we've had in uh, walks through Bournemouth Central Gardens. Uh, uh, has a friend who's a police officer. Uh, the perception is that obviously there's a lot of drug taking and so on uh, in in the Central Gardens, and there's not a lot being done about it. Now that's that's one one caller, one perception. You will have had a lot of those hot potatoes and things said to you. How, how would you approach stuff like that? Um, do, you, do you get a feel of the hot potatoes? I mean, you, you mentioned yourself, of course, County Lines, the exploitation, you know, of, 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 of people for, you know, the distribution of drugs and so on, the working on the most vulnerable for those who maybe don't know what County Lines is. So many, many issues. But that, to that caller, how would you respond to them, David? So, well, the first thing I'd do is I'd say, look, I'm very, very aware of this particular issue. It is part of the priorities that I put forward, my platform, if you like, during the the election. The third one was basically to fight organized crime and violence. Uh, And the first thing on top of that agenda is drugs and the harm around drugs. And that manifests itself in lots of different ways. I think, um, to be honest, we should also include alcohol with the drugs as well. Let's call it uh, addiction or substance abuse. abuse, Um, That, to me, basically breaks down into a a number of areas. Firstly, it's a national priority. 
So the whole issue around drugs and county lines is something that is being grappled with by a number of agencies, from the National Crime Agency down to the local forces. Um, so that's absolutely right. So we are aligned. My local priorities are aligned with national priorities on that. Uh, how do we address it? Well, I think we have to have um, robust enforcement. And what, what do I mean by that? I mean that I want Dorset to be the last place that drug dealers want to do business. And that may be the um, getting tough and taking them to prison. It may be that we disrupt their activities. I don't care, so long as they aren't spreading their stuff and making vulnerable people more vulnerable on the streets of Dorset. So that's one thing. Um, we've got to look at rehabilitation. We've got to have a grown-up discussion about rehabilitation and what that looks like. Uh, there is um, some uh, people who have houses of rehabilitation, but in actual fact, there is no actual uh, rehabilitation. rehabilitation. It's just somewhere to put people. Um, and I think we have to uh, look at that. And something I'm interested in is I'm picking that at a national level to say, don't we need something like the CQC for care homes, where if you have a house of rehabilitation, your program is assessed and the success of that program is assessed. Otherwise, what are we doing? So those sorts of things are, are, I'm interested in. But I think we've got to go further, Blair. One of the issues we have is uh, the market. And I think that we should address the market demand. And historically, what we've done is we've told kids, here's all the drugs. Well, they know that. You know, if, if they've got a smartphone, they can look them up on the internet. Um, and we say, basically, we are going to lock you up if you, if you, you know, possess this stuff. Mm. And they know that that's pretty much not going to happen to them. Um, so we've got to make a case. And we've got to make a case around the health issues. Uh, so things like with cannabis, the fact that you know, it, can, it can predispose you to schizophrenia and psychosis. Um, there's some evidence that around cancer to do with it as well. We've got to make that sort of case. We've got to talk about the fact that there's two kids in Weymouth in their 20s who don't have bladders because they were addicted to ketamine. We've got to talk about, um, we've got to talk about India Thacker, who two years ago on the floor of the O2 Arena died because she'd taken MDMA. And Sumi Thacker is one of my best friends, has been for years. I knew India when she was growing up. She was a lovely girl. And we've just got to address this and make certain that all those risks are well known. Well, as you know, I, I managed the YMCA uh, for quite a few years. And, uh, and it's very interesting because one of the most successful programs that we did, because a lot of the guys coming to us had the, the drugs, the, the alcohol, all those sorts of issues family you know dysfunctional all, all that carry on uh, but uh, I would take them uh, w when they were addressing their issues I would take them into schools it's very interesting you know because they would just uh, share their stories and and, and we'd get this uh, the, the, the question coming back where uh, I have a friend who is and they tell the story. Now, it became pretty obvious, actually. It wasn't their friend. It wasn't the friend. It was themselves. But I'll tell you, and this is maybe shocking, David, that quite a lot of the teachers had issues. And it became very evident, you know, by the, by, by the, the way that they were questioning themselves. But the, the, what, what I'm saying is I think that this approach uh, of um, the, the devastating effect Yes. Uh, that these things have. I, I, in fact, when you, the one young man that I did take in schools, uh, he had an unconscious episode and sadly cut off the circulation to his leg, uh, which then he subsequently lost. You know, so these were devastating. Uh, yeah effects but of course these i think this is we don't want to tell people this is what cannabis looks like this is what her no people then young people could tell us better than we can you know but what we what we certainly need to do is to shout from the rooftops i, I believe which i think is what you're saying yeah it is and it's very interesting that you said that you you had that program that's something that i'm interested in because um again uh in other parts of the country i understand there are programs uh, they have to be handled carefully, but where they would take ex-prisoners into a school to talk about their life choices. 
And yeah. that has been found to be very effective. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was weird. And I'll tell you something else. that the uh, It wasn't just the... the the impact on the young people that were listening and the questions that they were asking. But it was actually the 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 rehabilitation process because the confidence levels... You imagine a young guy who'd been on drugs and alcohol, dysfunctional yeah. family, standing before a classroom of 40 or 50 questioning young people and sometimes an assembly full. Uh, you could have heard a pin drop. Exactly. Uh, I, that, that, to me, really communicated and it was real life stuff of exactly. what this sort of thing does to us and I think we need to do we need to do more of I that type you. of thing you know absolutely agree with you that's part of my agenda can I just address the um, the, the specific the, question. The specific question about Bournemouth Gardens um, there has been there has been a lot of work done and it will be continue to happen around the issues in the center of town um, the new, well, it's not that new now, but the administration uh, is currently in place for the local authority, uh, put community safety as a priority, um, which was great. Absolutely great. I spoke to them beforehand and, and gave them my thoughts on it. What we now have is we have a police and crime commission who's on the same page as that. We have a police force who are well aware of the issues in the centre of town, and we'll be working to address them. And we've got to get the joined-up thinking, the the areas that I've talked about, um, all working together harmoniously. And that partnership working is critical, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely, absolutely. And and actually, COVID has already improved that. Um, I've already sat down with the leadership from the local authority and the police, um, and we'll continue to do that on a regular basis. Uh, and yes, absolutely. Look, I've lived here all my life, right? I've seen a difference in the centre of town. And I'm determined that we roll this back. This is Hope FM. Well, of course, that's the police. <laughs> and uh, every breath you take, then. And our police commissioner, uh, David Sidwick, is my very special guest uh, today. And uh, you've been put on the spot with some uh, d- difficult questions. Now, obviously, only issues that you talked about, right at the beginning, you talked about the, G- the GPs and those difficult medical problems. Now, here we are in, in the world of police and crime. And there's, there's the two primaries, yourself and, of course, the chief Constable, and we, we, we know that that uh, the James is is retiring, and you will be involved in the in the appointment. But these big issues, like that issue of, of drugs and alcohol and so on that we just talked about, uh, how how would you uh, interact, say, with the, the chief constable on these sorts of issues? Do you do what you would have done when you were in the medical profession and bring the key operators together, both I suppose in inside and outside of the police, the key partners, whether that be council or so on, to have these these critical discussions to f- so that if you like in the police and crime plan that you're currently working on, to some degree reflect those those things which you all think are important. Uh, yeah, you've got it in a nutshell. So the the police and crime plan isn't developed in isolation. So, I uh, obviously, um, from my point of view, I've got a very clear vision, which I stood on, to make Dorset the safest county in the UK. To me, the mission is to cut crime and antisocial behaviour. Um, and underneath that was six priorities. So, the first one, as I said, the mission to cut crime in ASB. Uh, the second one, to basically bring back visible connected, community-focused policing, because that allows us to do prevention work. The third one is to fight violent and organized crime. So there we're talking about drugs and the violence around drugs and hidden harms such as domestic violence, child abuse, and fraud. The rural area and to fight rural crime is number four. Because, as I said right at the start, it's important to me that we get this right. We'll put victims and witnesses first in everything we do. And we'll make certain that every penny counts for Dorset. If we get all that right, 
then we're all going to be safer and more secure in our beds. And having stood on that platform, having campaigned on that platform to, for two years, which was derived from 50 face-to-face speaking engagements, countless Zoom and team speaking engagements, three surveys, the work with other police forces, it's a solid basis to go forward to the police and crime plan. Now, that police and crime plan will be worked up. Then we will consult the public on that again. So you dra- again. draft it and consult again? We draft and consult again. We, dra- we consult with the chief constable, obviously, from the point of view of the operational side of delivery for the plan. But I'm not a person who believes you leave it to the last minute. I will have discussed in the interviews that I've had with the chief my platform, my electoral platform. And at no stage has he ever said to me, none of that is deliverable or we can't do that. And he could have said it. And he could have said it. And he would have said it. And he would have said it. He would have said it. And he would have said the same thing to any of the other candidates because we were all treated equally. Um, The difference, of course, is that I had two years, which meant I had a lot more interviews. Um... So I I am confident at this moment in time that the platform's right, but in any case, we'll consult on it again. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's it's about the practicalities of putting it all together. And you're absolutely right. It is about not just talking across to other partners within Dorset, and they're obviously critical of the local authority, our fire colleagues, the health service. You know, none of us can fix these problems in isolation. Um, but we also need to make certain that we go up. And, of course, the the, the government play a big part of exactly this. Exactly what I'm talking and about. I know that you have had is it at least one meeting, possibly two meetings, with, with the Home Secretary, with Priti Patel. Uh, how, did they, how did they go? Did you, were you able to uh, discuss uh, the, the importance of why Dorset should, should have some priority in government policy? Uh, yes is a simple answer, and it's 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 more than that. I first met Pretty Patai, I think, two years ago um, at a candidate and PCC meeting in London. Um, she's not the first Home Secretary. I think I've met three or four of them in the past in, for different reasons. Um, but she is, I think the word passionate might be appropriate. Um, well, she's she certainly ha- straight talking. Very straight talking and very clear. And I was very clear the first time I met her. I said, look, not being funny. Um, at the time, she'd had a bit of a, a bit of a disagreement with the current um, apparatus here. Um, and I basically said, look, I'm the candidate for Dorset. Um, I understand you've had a robust discussion. I want to make certain that we're understood that whatever happens, we get our fair share of the new uplift our fair share of Boris's bodies to come to on Dorset. The, yeah, on yeah. the beat, yeah. So, um, um, how can I put it? I, I marked my card very early on, and we've had a very good relationship ever since. She appreciates direct discussion. And uh, I've interviewed her. I've raised the issue with her of pet theft, which I know is a particular issue um, for a lot of the people who contacted me during the election campaign. Uh, and, you know, on the back of that and also howling collectively as PCCs, there's now a national task force in place. We're making much more noise here about prevention. We did that, I think, last week. Um, and there's other things that we will be doing down the line, which I'll look forward to communicating. So, yeah, but we need that sort of relationship. And, and also... The relationship between PCCs is also important, which we have now in a way that we didn't have before across the southwest. So we can look at regional organised crime, for example, and come up with strategies to address it. And I suppose there's nothing new under the sun. And I mean, whether I mean whether you're talking to partners, you know, who are local to Dorset, or those who who are other police commissioners are other key players, you know, other chief constables and so on. Uh, there, there's certainly a learning curve there, if nothing else, to have a good old debate and to analyse what works and what doesn't work. Not saying, of course, everything that works somewhere else would necessarily work in Dorset. No, you're right. But that's one of the things that I've been very keen on, is to look at best practice and look at programmes. 
and where something looks like it's working and we haven't got it then i'm very happy to look at how we can get it if that makes any sort of sense uh, a classic example is the drive project which is about working with domestic violent reoffenders which we brought to dorset actually fairly recently that's something which I've always thought was a really, really good, mm-hmm. um, really good idea. Has the whole COVID thing, David? I mean, I know it's early days in, in the post, then, but you'll be having conversations, you know, with uh, with James and so on. Uh, I, I've been reading about mental health issues and so on, and domestic violence has shot up, hasn't it? in some ways, nationally because of the the whole COVID scenario. I don't know whether that reflects in Dorset. Have you, have you any intelligence on that? It's, uh, to my mind, that's a little, a little bit early. The last conversation I had on the numbers was the number of incidents had, had risen, but not the number of offences. And, and what do I mean by that? The number of calls to charities yeah. had risen. Um, I think we've got to see how, how it plays well, out. Well, things are just coming out now, aren't they? They're, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you see, there's a whole raft of things here which COVID has possibly exacerbated. It's always been a curate's egg. Things like um, crime on the streets obviously would have gone down during lockdown because it's it's more because obvious. Nobody no, was nobody's on the streets. On the streets. <laughs> but things behind closed doors. Yeah, well, they and would, the mm. um, the way that criminals operate is they are always looking for the next opportunity. And that's why you've seen, for example, fraud and cybercrime. There's been some instances of that increasing and trying to basically capitalise on COVID. Yeah. I suppose the other the other thing, of course, is the whole Brexit issue, because here we are on the coast, uh, you know, and the migration, you know, illegal migration. I don't know whether that's uh, whether, whether that has come your way at all. I've not heard much about that. I just sort of throw it out because I'm thinking, actually, you know... Um, I think uh, if we were in Kent, control is, I think if yeah. we were in Kent, Blair, then probably I would have had a brief by now. Mm. The fact that I haven't had a brief specifically on that at this moment in time means it's not an issue. I'm not saying it's not an issue. I'm saying it is not an issue which is huge for us at this moment. It's something that we have to understand more, particularly in the concept con, uh, in the context of modern slavery. So, for example. I am certain that we will have measures in place in order to address things like um, lorries coming through pool, for example. We never want to see a tragedy like what that which happened in Essex a couple of years ago um, when it had uh, basically a container full of bodies in the end. Um, so, no, that's not top of the things that I talk about every day, but I'm certain that we're cited on it. Well, something else to keep you fresh and alert. You know? Yeah, exactly. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, I've just had an email into the station uh, from Can. Can is the Community Action Network. Now, you, you will know, and, and David certainly will know, that, uh, that through the whole COVID challenges, uh, the the bringing together of many organisations and and the council under the banner of Together We Can was hugely uh, successful, and 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 we together in the community made a a huge difference to the lives of many people. Now this email says, "Hi Blair, we're currently looking. This is uh, from Can the Community Action Network. We're currently looking from for for more volunteers to to support us with vaccinations at the big and GP surgeries and pharmacies across our local area." Uh, uh, and if you want to respond to that uh, help, then I think the, probably the best thing to do is you could give Can uh, uh, a ring. But look, start with their website, which is www.can100.org. That's www.can100.org. And if you can offer a bit of voluntary time uh, to help with the, the the very successful vaccination program in in our area, then uh, they will they will certainly be you put a smile on their face. David, you know the importance of volunteers and partnership. We've talked about that a lot. You're absolutely right, Blair. In fact, one of the things I did last week was I presented the awards to the... um, No, I closed the awards ceremony to the um, special constables and the public uh, police service volunteers who help us immensely. 
And that was a revelation, actually, to me, because obviously I knew about these people, but I hadn't seen the scale and scope of what they do. Of what they do. And when you realize that you know, they get out of bed and basically go to work, not for a salary, but because they think it's the right thing to do. And some of them do work which are exactly the same as a police constable, the specials. And yeah, I have immense respect and admiration for them. But this is something that actually uh, I'm very interested in leveraging across Dorset from the point of view of we have great people. We have great volunteers. We have great organizations such as Neighborhood Watch and Community Speed Now, they're Watch. unsung heroes, aren't they? Well, they are. They are, actually. Look, the the National um, Police Chiefs Council basically did some academic work on what cuts crime in areas. And you know what? A good, functioning neighborhood watch can cut crime by 26%. So I'm very keen that we strengthen neighborhood watches across Dorset. Uh, Community speed watch has been shown to drop the average speed in those areas where they operate. Um, Dorset Police, uh, we embed... Um, Dorset Police with Community Speed Watch sometimes. Um, so you don't just get the advisory note, you can also get a ticket. Um, I think that's actually a good thing because uh, it means that Community Speed Watch is taken seriously. Um, and I'm keen that we have more of those as well. I know that, for example, speeding through some of the rural villages is a major concern for people. And we've got this great voluntary mechanism to address it. So if we can't get a traffic cop there, we can certainly do something. But actually, I'd like to go further. There's a couple of other areas that I'm really interested in. For example, in the rural area, I've talked before about in some parts of the country, they have a mounted neighborhood watch. I'd like to bring that to Dorset. <laughs> well, it is a farming community. you know. It is a farming community. Right. What we call them is, is obviously up for... <laughs> The mounted the the Dorset police. <laughs> yeah, um, so Dorset rangers, Dorset deputies, you know, there's a number of permutations. But uh, the function for those hard-to-reach areas, just to keep their eye on the patch and the A's with the, uh, with the police, I believe would be of value. Mm. So, yeah, so there's, there's um, lots to do. But I also want to um, start embedding the idea of public service more with our youngsters. Um, to basically, uh, we've got some great youngsters in Dorset, some fantastic ones, but we've got some who de- some who decide they're going to cause antisocial behaviour, and I'd like to try and basically do some things around that. We've got the first set of police cadets, two troops, at Bourne Academy, and that's working well and working great. Um, I'd like many more of them. <laughs> David, we started today. We're talking about about you and and about your early education, and 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 we've done a lot. What we haven't said a, a lot, of course, is that one of the things that helped to keep you sane. No, normally, when you've been on my program, <laughs> you've been talking about games. I've, I don't think I've ever met anybody in my life who's more passionate about board games uh, than <laughs> than yourself. Yeah, you've talked about your family, obviously, and but of course, you also collect other things as well, don't you? Oh, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. Some, uh, my wife says says to me sometimes that I'm twelve inside. Um, yeah, I do. I, I yeah, I have got a few collections of things. Um, and they're quite valuable because you have antique cars and things, don't you? Sometimes, don't yeah. You have the Bond cars, the old James Bond. Cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got that one, Blair. Got that one. Um, I used to have a vast collection of science fiction toys. Mm. Um, which I'd collected over a number of years. But about three years ago, I decided that sitting in boxes in the attic wasn't a good plan for them. So they, they, they were auctioned off. <laughs> they were auctioned off. I suppose if I was to say, what is the thing that is most occupying me when I get home at this moment in time? It's a 10-week-old cockapoo puppy. <laughs> who I'm not going to give the name out because that's being, one of the Being th- house-trained? Right. Okay, so we are nearly there. Mm. nearly there though sometimes his name changes to something um, unprintable unrepeatable on yeah, the radio unrepeatable yeah. when he makes a mistake <laughs> um, so I think on balance if you'd asked me this 24 hours ago I'd have said we've got there he, he, he rings a bell when he wants to go out and all the rest of it which sounds bizarre but we've trained him to do it uh, but yeah he's had a few mistakes <laughs> Well, you've got a big, a big road ahead of you, and I can see that you're you're pr- approaching this uh, 
not just positively, but actually with quite a bit of experience uh, under your, your belt. Are you, are you, now that you're in the job just, are you enjoying it? Loving it, Blair. Loving it. I can see how we can make a difference. Um, I'm getting good support. Um, you you referenced the chief constable. Uh, the chief constable uh, actually said to me a while ago that he was considering retiring, but he would see me through my first police and crime plan, which is what he will do. Um, and, uh, yeah, at this moment in time, I'm in that situation where my main frustration, if I'm honest, is I'm having to do a lot of teams work, um, learning about bits and, bits and pieces, which is fine. That's what you do when you hit a new role. Um, but I want to get out there. I want to get back to talking to the people. I want to get out and understand their needs and make certain that we get it right in the plan and we deliver. Because it doesn't matter what I say in the election. I've only got three years. I've got to run like the wind and make certain I get this right. Well, thank you for being my guest today. And I know you've been no stranger to the radio. Whether you're talking about games or some of the other things that are indeed you know, the very important issues of police and crime management within the county. Thank you. This is Hope FM.